Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. What about Christmas? Do you remember Christmas? Uh, for me, I feel like it's always been Christmas Eve with my family. Because um, when I was little, we would spend basically all day at church getting ready for the service, and then we would come home and have dinner with my grandparents. I look forward to spending time with my kids and my family. Uh, probably church time. I look forward to the festivities and the Christmas lights the most. I definitely look forward to Christmas time because it is the time that there are no restricts on anything, there's no work. It's just family time, it's just time to be with each other, to reconnect with your kids, with your spouse, and just breathe. Okay, so when answering this question, I, these guys got it right. These are the right answers. And I think they speak for us. These should be all of our answers. Time with each other. What we look forward to the most at Christmas is slower pace, time with family. But you know, anecdotally, when I hear so many people, and I think this has been true of me too, and even people in my family, and talking about what we look forward to during the Christmas season, it's amazing how many times I hear movies mentioned. So yeah, time off work, life is slower, uh, good food, but often what we hear described are some of the traditions of watching movies. And, and it's remarkable to me how... The classics, you know, and I'm going to just use a few from our family. We often watch Home Alone. How often these, these movies are absurd stories, but they also have an element of describing someone who's alone and doesn't want to be. And Home Alone's an easy one. We've probably watched Home Alone every year, every Christmas, I don't know how many years. It's certainly a part of what we look forward to when we think about a slower Christmas pace, you know, even though it's the busiest season of the year, when we can slow down. Home Alone is a ridiculous story of somehow a family manages to leave their young son alone through much of the Christmas season. And yet there's a sub-story, and if you're, not, if you're not watching for it, it's easy to miss. Where old man Marley, Kevin's neighbor, is actually very alone in life. And in this ridiculous concept of a story, there's a very serious, really sacred scene where the two of them are sitting in a church together, talking about family arguments and an argument in old man Marley's life that has left him not speaking to his son or grandson for years. And they have a conversation. Little Kevin and old man Marley are talking about forgiveness and mercy and who's going to reach out first. And old man Marley is this guy who's alone. You think Kevin's the one who's alone. It's actually the neighbor. And Kevin, who's alone, is going to help the neighbor find reconnection. Elf. We're actually screening Elf here Saturday night in this room. And again, please be intentional to invite someone. Invite a neighbor. Uh, invite friends to come join you. This is a great chance for us to, to, to meet some friends and neighbors here in the community. But Elf is the story, as absurd as it is, of 
a grown man, somehow he gets well into his adult years before he realizes that he's not connected with the people that he's supposed to be in community with, particularly his family. And if you're not watching carefully, you'll see it's amazing how this thread runs through so many Christmas movies. There's the story of him finding his father. And in New York City, he reconnects with his father. His father, who's a successful book publisher, runs a big company, has people all around him, and yet his father's alone. And is really disconnected, even from his, his own personal family at home. I think our family's probably favorite movie in the last five or six years, I think, is The Holiday. The story of two young 20-somethings. A young man and young woman in the countryside of England, they're surrounded by people, they have friends in their life, but they're absolutely alone emotionally. And two young people in Los Angeles, both in the film industry, young man and young woman, they're completely alone, looking for friendship and connection and acceptance and looking for love. And in this crazy story where the four lives intersect, is the story of Amanda's neighbor, the old man who was the, the screenwriter in Hollywood, won Oscars, had made blockbuster movies. Here he is at the end of his career, older, advanced in years, and he's utterly alone. And how this connection of friends end up ha- helping him find community. The very real story that you and I understand about Christmas is how this season can be incredibly difficult for so many people. It's a season. Christmas is. We don't see this in commercials, and we don't hear it talked about openly or at work, but Christmas is a season that reminds many people of what they never had, or maybe what they had and what they've lost, or who they've lost. It's a season that can remind them and kind of exacerbate the idea of being alone, there's something about the Christmas season that magnifies all of that. I wrote this in my notes a couple weeks ago that it's sad to me that for so many people who do look forward to Christmas and the lights and, and the songs and music and all the Christmas parties and everything that goes with this busy season, it, the concept of Christmas is very ethereal for many, many people. And I put that in my notes, and about a week later, earlier this past week, I was like, do I have the right word? It is ethereal, right? So I looked up the, the, the word. Ethereal, is, it's, it's an adjective that refers to something being extremely delicate and light in a way that seems too perfect for this world. And I was like, that's exactly, that's exactly how so many people look at Christmas. Christmas is this sort of magical concept where for a month we let the light into the darkest part of the year. If we live in the northern hemisphere, which much of the world does, the week before Christmas and Christmas week are the darkest weeks of the year. And we light up the world at Christmas time. And we create this sort of pixie dust, magical, sort of warm feeling that I do believe for many people is this ideal. It's a narrative we create. That, man, we wish the world was like this. We wish there was this this warm connection to life itself. And God never intended this season and our reflection on the events of Advent. He has designed it, beginning with the very first, the events of Christmas, to be experiential. 
And the experience that God longs for us, that he wants for us, that he's designed from the beginning, is that we would see the reality that for you and I, that you are not alone. Whatever's happened in your life, whatever pain you faced, whatever disappointments you faced, whatever dreams have failed, whatever relationship has ended, the financial plan that fell apart, whatever diagnosis, whatever stress that we face, however you've been treated, the bottom line objective of God at Christmas is for you and I to see that he never intended us to be alone and he refused to allow you to be alone. We sometimes hear the statement, especially in our world today, with presidential elections and COVID and just everything in recent, recent uh, American life, it's so easy or common to hear the expression, and maybe you're one who's even said this, something like, the world has just never been this bad. It's just never been as depressed. It's never been this dangerous before. We've never seen so much division you know these statements, and we've heard, we, we hear it talked about openly in the media, like have we ever been in such a negative, depressed, stressed, distrusting place? Never before. We'll say things like never before have we distrusted government like we do, or organized religion. Churches, churches are facing this. I was a part of a conversation just a couple weeks ago about church attendance trends in every part, the Pacific Northwest, New England, the South, Every part of our country, church attendance and participation in church is waning. It's, it's, it's never been this low per capita. And as, as easy as it is to say or believe that the world's never been or our world has never been this bad before, this stressed or distressed before, the reality is that scholars, historians will tell us that it's very possible that the world has never been as bad as first century Rome, the Roman Empire, and in particular, pockets or corners of the Roman Empire, like the southeast region of the Roman Empire in the first century, the land of Judea, of Galilee. That was the world when God approached you and me. When Jesus came close to you and me, when he drew close, close to humans. Herod the Great. Herod the Great, who oversaw that region, ordered the slaughter of every child in the region of Bethlehem, two years old and under. In his own insecurity and jealousy, whatever we think today of world leaders, and we see some of this in political leadership. Thank God. We are not in that part of the world or where we experience that kind of, you can't even call it leadership. That was the world and the state of the world when Jesus chose to come close to us. Poverty was unspeakable. The world that Jesus lived and walked in, the, it's hard to grasp the concept of, of the degree of poverty. In fact, Jesus himself working to reveal the kingdom of God from town and city, uh, often didn't have a place 
to sleep, didn't have a home. People with diseases in Jesus' day in first century Galilee and Judea, people with diseases, even with inflammation, we see this in Luke chapter 14, the man that Jesus shows up to the Pharisees' dinner with, had a condition called dropsy, a swelling in his skin. People with these kinds of conditions were considered unclean. They were announced and declared as unclean and were not allowed to participate in any, any semblance of societal function, functionality. You were an outcast if you had some kind of physical challenge. Women were essentially property. And if you think, oh yeah, like in our country up until 100 years ago, no, nothing like our recent history. When we look at how women were treated as property in first century Rome, it's unspeakable. It's disgusting. In fact, there was a Jewish law in, in, in the land of Judea. Jewish law had evolved dramatically from the law of Moses to include this clause where men who just got tired of their wives could divorce them could actually legally file for divorce just because they were tired of their wife or the way their wife looked. And it fell under the clause of what became known as the burning of the bread law. If the wife burned a meal, the husband could divorce his wife. And Jesus actually addresses this. When Jesus speaks to the issue of divorce, this is exactly what he's speaking to. You call yourself a man of God when actually... It's interesting, just a side note here, that historians, uh, Bible scholars, debate whether these cases that happened where a, a wife would burn a meal or burn the bread, as it was said, uh, whether it was always accidental. Their, their voices were so suppressed. The voice of a woman was so suppressed, even in her own home, sometimes this sort of passive-aggressive, intentionally aggressive action was the only voice they had. Because they literally could not speak up to push back on an idea or to voice an opinion. That is the state of the world when Jesus came close to you and me. Roman execution is still considered today by many historians as the absolute worst man-made form of torture and death that has ever existed on planet Earth. And it is no accident that God's timing was first century Judea when he would send his son into this world. It is so intentional that Jesus came into the world when he did, into a world of unspeakable pain and betrayal and oppression to come close to us, to come close to you and me. Christmas is the story of God coming into such a world, into our world, into your world, your world of loneliness, the way you've been treated, maybe your world of personal mistakes or regrets that can't be undone. That's the world that Jesus chose to come into. Now, last year, about this time last year, a writer, she's a uh, data analyst, editor, and writer. She wrote an article in the Financial Times. Her name's Frederica Coco. 
And uh, this article got a lot of play on, on news channels and on social media. She wrote an article, Are We Prepared for the Approaching Loneliness Epidemic? And she writes in the article, it's interesting, one of the aspects is, um, make no mistake, I'm not blaming this coming epidemic on COVID. COVID exacerbated it, she says. But we were well on the way in the Western, you know, in our society in, in North America. We were already trending dramatically toward this loneliness epidemic, as she calls it. You'd think this far out of COVID, when we were anxious to get out of our houses and reconnect with people, you'd think there were anything but isolated, but we've only trended even more into isolation since COVID. It's actually ironic and it's alarming when she reveals the data points that she does. There's a trajectory of loneliness. Interestingly enough, she says, not among what you would commonly think, studying history among depressed, poor nations, it's the wealthier nations. The wealthier the nations are, the more isolated the culture is becoming. She said, in developed countries, the share of people who report having friends or relatives they can count on has been steadily dropping over the past 15 years. Young people feel so connected today. This is what's deceptive about social media. They are interacting, we, I'm going to say we, we young people, are interacting so much through the day through TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. Not, not, not just in text communication, but visually, through images and videos. The, the deception is we are uber-connected when actually there's never been a generation in our history that's more emotionally detached from other people. She talks about older generations, the older generation in our country. Specifically people, when, when looking at and studying those who spend no interaction time at all during the day, older people are incredibly vulnerable to this trend. Older people are consistently worse affected. On average, 53% of Americans aged over 65 spend more than eight hours of waking time on their own. Centuries ago, almost no one lived in isolation. Today, some Western countries are showing as high as 60% of its culture, of its population, is living primarily in isolation. There's study I looked at by Dr. Roy Baumheister. He writes about connection and isolation and says there's now a prevalent sense of social exclusion, not just being alone, many in society actually feel alone. And you were never made for this. You and I were never designed to be alone. And it's so easy when you've been hurt by someone when you don't trust your government to handle crisis or conflicts, and that's on the rise, when you don't trust organized religion, when you don't trust whether a neighbor actually has an ulterior motive in their interactions with you, it is so easy to justify just our withdrawal. It seems like common sense, maybe even it seems wise, but you were not designed to live this way. And the more that we feel that we're protecting ourselves, 
The more isolated we become, the more distant we become and hollow we become spiritually. You and I cannot sustain a spiritual life. Understanding the spirit of God and his voice and his direction disconnected from other people who were created in the image of God. It, it, it's impossible. The cure for loneliness is not educational. It's not even societal. It's not financial. It's certainly not political. We put so much energy into our political opinions. It is not political. The cure is spiritual. It always has been, and it always will be the rest of your life, the cure for real connection. Seeing the activity and spirit of God actually working in your life. Moving from the ethereal that God has nice concepts for us and has happy thoughts for us sometimes throughout the year, and Christmas is one of them. Moving from the ethereal of good Wishes by God who's somewhere up there and he, he certainly sees my life at times. Other times he seems randomly distant. Moving from that ethereal concept of Christmas into the experiential is the step of trust that our God has not left us alone. He actually came personally into our world of hurt and chaos and betrayal and uncertainty. And even our world of mistakes and shame. Now, I understand the question. I do. I hear this question a lot. I used to ask it. I am not pointing my finger at you if you struggle with this. This is common. And it's something that I, early in my faith, certainly struggled with. If Jesus came into this world to be the Prince of Peace, to bring peace on earth... The name Jesus means Savior, one who rescues. If that was the plan at Christmas, how in the world is our planet such a mess? I get it. We don't hide or run from tough questions here. We may not always have the exact answer, but we are committed here at Dulles to spending time and digging in and talking with one another and looking at God's story in Scripture to get to the heart of these questions. And this is a prevalent, prevailing question today. Is Christmas really something worth celebrating? I mean, look at our world. I'm more sure than ever, not just pastoring as long as I have, but just interacting with you and with neighbors and just watching the world, I'm more sure that what we want the role of Jesus to be is a fixer. We understand his name means to rescue, but we want him to right now solve the problem that is Ukraine. The crisis happening in Israel, in Palestine. We want God to fix our inflation problems here, if that can even be added to such a list of crisis, or division in our country, or the, the, the very real issue of disease and illness. This is exactly how the disciples thought. The disciples thought that Jesus was literally going to overthrow the Roman Empire. 
after his resurrection, they still believed that was the mission, the plan. It is so easy for us to understand, or our concept is, well, Jesus came to be peace on earth. Well, where is it? Hello? Our world is burning. It's a world on fire. We're, we're in crisis here. Jesus did, in fact, come to be close to us, to you. But his repairing work begins with what really ails the human condition. It's the human heart. This is always what Jesus is going to address first. He cares about sickness. He cares about inflation. He cares about war, certainly. But in this broken world of chaos that looks nothing like the garden, what he intended for us. It looks nothing like the garden cities that the last book of scripture describes will one day be our reality here on earth. The new heavens, the new earth being the culmination of Jesus' renewal. We crave that so deeply. That's what we want. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're desperate for. We don't want to say goodbye to loved ones. We don't want to live in a world of grief where friends could betray you or have ulterior motives. But while we're in this broken world, we could have a God that left and went somewhere else to another universe to start over. We could have a God who just judges us with fire and condemns us. Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn, but he came to rescue. We are made by a creator who loves us so much he would not leave us alone in the circumstances we face and the challenges we face and the anxieties and the stress and the depression. Jesus came to repair our world beginning with the human heart, starting with you and starting with whatever isolation or circumstances that weigh heavy on you every day. He asks us to throw our burdens, the weight of our burdens onto him, that he came to carry what weighs us down. This is where peace on earth begins. We see this at the beginning, the very beginning, in the creation story. God is looking for Adam in the garden, and humans and God interacted. They shared the same space. And when we chose selfishly, in our attempt to control, in our attempt to become God, God is searching for Adam, and Adam hides. Adam doesn't want connection with God anymore. He's ashamed. He's actually hiding from God. Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid. And we've been hiding from God ever since. Trying to live for success or for our own control, it has a wrecking effect on humans, on humanity. What we actually need, what we actually were made for, what we were designed for, is the only thing that makes life work, and that's closeness with God. And he loved us so much. He didn't create Christmas for us to put twinkling lights up in the darkest part of the year so we just feel a little better about getting through winter. Or to have these random thoughts of God sometimes sees me. Sometimes God's care is there. Christmas is intentionally 
to show you the depth of God's love that he would never leave you and me in the world of hurt that we find ourselves in. God had a solution for our isolation and our hurt. God who made everything, the God who made and designed everything became a human to be close to us in our hurt and to carry our hurt and to take our, even our selfishness, our selfish choosing on himself. I mean, who does this? So a note here about Advent. Advent, it comes from the Latin Adventus. It means the approaching arrival, to be anticipating the arrival of a notable person or a notable event. And we've begun something here, a lot of us, a lot of you here this morning have begun this daily Advent reading. We've just started this weekend. So if you're thinking, oh, I've missed it or I meant to sign up, it's not too late at all. I mean, we're just getting started. This is a, a really sweet but profound and meaningful 10 minutes, 8 to 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, depending on your pace of reading each morning to start our day with an aspect of the Christmas story of the arrival of Jesus, not just into our world, but into our lives. Uh, you can go to our mobile app if you want to sign up. It's super simple to join. I wrote that Advent is us moving closer to an event, or it's, it's us moving closer to Christmas as we reflect on, as we recognize the reality, the experience of God moving close to us, moving close to you. So in this Advent reading just this weekend, just on day one, a couple days ago, uh, the reading was in John 1, and I just saw something. I've read John 1. I don't know how many times I've read John 1. I mean, hundreds is probably right. I had never made this connection. I've never seen this, and this just continues to happen in God's story. The more that we spend time in God's words, the more he reveals his movement toward us, his heart for us, what he's working, what he's constructing in us. So let me begin the first few verses here of John 1. This is John's description of the arrival of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. He's calling Jesus the messenger, the voice of God. He was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And if that's new for you, the concept that Jesus made all things, Jesus didn't arrive till the New Testament. God the Father created all things. We're actually taught, it's consistent throughout Scripture, Jesus was actually the author of creation. Jesus was the one who actually spoke creation in Genesis. We see this, and just quickly, uh, in Colossians, Paul speaks to this. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for him. He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. I mean, this is speaking to like molecular structure. Our cells stay together. Objects that we create in this world actually hold together. They stay bound together. We're told here because Jesus holds all things together, everything in creation. So if we go back to John, John's introduction of the arrival of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and here it comes. 
Stay with me on this. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then John ends this introduction to who Jesus is in verse 14. This word, the word of God, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And what just clicked with me, I'd never seen this. It just had never connected in me as many times as I've read it. The one who made all things made his dwelling among us. I mean, think about this concept. The one who created the universe. A friend invited me over not too long ago with a telescope. I mean, this is me, the nerd, talking here. Amy will make fun of me for this later, I'm sure. But, and, hey, I've got my telescope set up on my deck. I'm looking for Saturn tonight. So I went over, and he's like, take a look. And I looked, and there's Saturn. I'm standing on my friend. This is in Stone Ridge. On his back deck, looking through this little telescope, and there is Saturn, the rings of Saturn through the telescope. The God who created our universe and all things that are possible, relationships, human interaction, our technologies, the cities we build, he chose to make his dwelling with you and me in the challenge, in the way people can treat one another, in political division, in chaos, in disease, in illness. This is the world that God chose to come into, to come close to you in. Matthew's account begins in, in, in Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be jo uh, married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We know what happens. I'm sure you're familiar with this part of the story. Stay with Matthew here because he's, he's moving us in the introduction of Jesus toward the big reveal. Matthew, who was a disciple of Jesus, this is the major point that he's driving us toward right here in the beginning, in the introduction of Jesus. After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, rescuer. And this is where Joseph is realizing that's, that's Messiah language. We're talking about the Messiah, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, and this is where Matthew is driving the core that he's driving us to here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. God, who has come to be with us. God actually came into our world of pain and brokenness and distrust and stress and anxieties. Wars and heartache to be close to you. This idea of Emmanuel, Amy, Amy and I, uh, we've, we've been watching for six years now The Crown on Netflix. And I, you know, it's, it's not my, the, the, the historical story of Queen Elizabeth is nothing terribly exciting to me. And yet I will... Uh, I will say, this is the, I've, I've been saying it now for a couple of years, it's, it's the best show that's ever been put on television. 
I just, I've never seen anything like it. The production value, the acting, the writing, the storytelling is just phenomenal. And in season six, where we are right now, Diana is at the point in her life where she dreads going out in public for any reason at all. And when she's in public, she's sweet and gracious and she takes time with kids and she's working her nonprofits, but behind closed doors, she doesn't want to step foot outside because of what will happen. And even some in her inner circle are still like, Diana, it's just ice cream. We haven't done, can we just go to the ice cream store like normal people? Uh, can we just go, we can shop like normal. And she's like, it's not going to go well. And every time she's right, they go for ice cream and somebody spots her in another country and the, the madness that happens. Chasing down the street, getting in cars and following their cars. All because this princess has come close to them, has come close to their town or, or close to their street. And, you know, the, the metaphor breaks down here because Diana is very broken. You see how just her own insecurities and anxieties. And it's remarkable how we humans somehow, we develop this idea about celebrity. We just revere athletes and celebrities, politicians. I walked right by Joe Biden. At the time, he was Senator Biden. I should say President Biden. He was Senator Biden. I was in Union Station downtown. I was going on a business trip with uh, a man in, in, in my church at the time. He had a, a board meeting in, in New York City, and we took the, the train up. And in Union Station, walking just across the platform, here comes Senator Biden. I mean, when I say that our sleeves may have touched, I mean, that's how close. We just, and I was like, oh, my gosh, did you see that was Senator Biden, Joe Biden? The next morning, we woke up in New York City. Um, Barack Obama and his campaign announced Joe Biden as his VP candidate. And I said to my friend, we just saw Joe Biden probably the last day of his life without Secret Service around him. He was just walking through Union Station by himself. I didn't know much about him as a senator. But, man, we told so many friends the story. There's just something. It was like we saw a senator. And then the next day, he became the VP candidate. I mean, I told, I don't know how, I'm telling all of you. There's something in us that when there's celebrity or fame or they've been in media, our hearts race a little bit or we get excited or we, we, we slow down. And, and then we come to Christmas where the whole point is that the God who created, he made everything. The God who made everything made his dwelling here with you and me. And it's this ethereal kind of idea that, well, you know, we should go to church once in a while during the Christmas season. God has, I think he's good and has happy thoughts. I don't see him at work in my life right now, really, but there's something about Christmas. We want it to be this kind of magical time. When Christmas actually is only ever understood as an experience. Something to be experienced. Letting in, allowing, dropping your guard enough. Whatever safety barriers, whatever walls that you've placed. For good reason and well-intended reasons, you have to let Jesus in. 
He can only come so close. He can come into your world of pain and take that pain onto himself, even physically. But you have to allow him emotionally close to you. We looked at the beginning of Matthew's story. Let's look at the very last sentence. The very last sentence of Matthew's account in Matthew's gospel. He quotes Jesus. And surely, it, it just couldn't be clearer. Jesus, uh, Matthew makes it clear. Emmanuel, chapter 1. It's God who's come to dwell among us, to be with us. The very last statement. It's the capstone of Matthew's gospel account. And surely, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even if the age were to end. Even if the world were to just disintegrate. I'll be with you even in that moment. I'm never leaving you. I'll never forsake you. However someone has treated you, whatever reasons you have of distrusting or guarding yourself from human interaction, I have come to be the faithful one to you. And then we cycle through the, but God, the thing that I did, the regret, the pain I created, Man, it just does not matter. You're not understanding what Jesus took onto the cross. If you're allowing a mistake or a decision or choice that you made to keep you distant from God, he came to take all of our mistakes, all of our choosing, all of our selfishness, our need for control to the cross. You are not alone. That's what the season's about. He'll never be alone. He'll never leave you. You can create distance. You can hold God at arm's length. But that's not what he wants. That's not what he intended. So in this season, I'm going to close with a challenge for you to consider a few things. And the first is really a sidebar. When we step into Advent, when we, when we step out of the ethereal, just kind of the magical concept, and we move into, we allow our guard down, and we allow Jesus to come all the way close, to experience him, recognizing that he's moved all the way into human brokenness, something changes in us. And it, it actually changes in the way we treat this month, the way we journey through the Christmas season. And I'm just, I've, I've kind of put it on the screen here as a mantra. We spend less, we give more, and we love all. When Christmas becomes the experience of God moving close to me in my brokenness, in my isolation, something begins to change in the way we look at the world, the way we look at other mistakes, their mistakes, what she's done, what he's done. There's something where we no longer live for in the, the idea of consuming, we actually spend less. We look for opportunities to give more, to be available to the people around us, and we love all. There's no restrictions. The limitations on who we'll move close to, they just fade. They disintegrate as God's love permeates and becomes the experience that he intended. I'm... I, you know, it's December 3rd. I don't know if I'm too late with some of you. I'm not telling you how to Christmas shop. That's not the intention here. But I will tell you, I am failing as a pastor, and I'm not speaking 
from my deep, deep value system that has evolved in my relationship with Jesus, if I don't say, think seriously about spending less this month and, and think seriously and reflect on giving more to people who need you. See, this is where we become part of Jesus' arrival. We actually become participants in Advent. We're no longer reflecting on what God has done for us. We actually are walking in, as Paul talked about, the body. We become members of the body of Jesus in our world. Join us for our monthly prayer. And Nike prays all month for this 25, 30-minute gathering that we have once a month. It's Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. You can easily find it if you don't know South Riding well. The town hall, right, the town green right in front of the town hall. There's a fire pit to the left. We're going to turn on the fire. We're going to pray for 25, 30 minutes for our community that God would use our church, just imperfect people like us, to be part of the advent. Jesus' advent, Jesus' arrival in the lives of those around us. And then finally, I'm going to ask you to pray this new prayer for this month ahead with me. And I'm going to lead us in this first prayer. You can find this on our mobile app. You can screenshot this, take this, allow this to be part of guiding you through this month. So I pray, Jesus, creator of all that is good and all that has been made, you also made your dwelling here with us, with me. This month, as our church moves toward Christmas, I recognize that you chose to move toward me. You've come all the way into my hurt, my failures, my disappointments to be close to me. Jesus, today, give me a strong sense of your presence. You near me, you with me, you close to me. Today, I allow you all the way in to my life, my heart, my emotions, my thoughts, and my deepest dreams. And remind me that following you means I am now part of your advent, your arrival into the lives of others who long for relief out of darkness. And I just remind you one more time of this advent plan you can find on our mobile app that will really encourage you. God, be with the people of our church. Move us out of all the pressure and all the circumstances of life that tempt us to see this season as this mystical, abstract, subjective time of the year. May we experience the reality of your arrival into a very broken, sometimes a very dark world to be close to us, to teach us, to correct us, to move us toward light, your life. And Jesus, may we become more and more the solution, the voice of love and hope in the lives of others. We give you this season, and we're so grateful that you are a God who did not leave us alone in the dark. Amen. <laughs>